Hello, everyone, and welcome to my Papa's podcast, Celebrating the Word with Dean Caldwell Ministries. Hello, everyone. We want to welcome you today to Elevating the Word. This is a Bible study intended to increase your faith, increase your knowledge of God so you can walk closer to the Lord and have a relationship with God like you've never had before. Hey, y'all, and welcome to the podcast today. We are so glad that you have joined us. Uh, Just a few quick announcements up front. Uh, Brother Dean's YouTube and Facebook channel. Head on over there to get encouraging videos, encouraging posts. Um, Found out where Brother Dean's going to be in revival and things of that nature. Look up Dean Caldwell Ministries on YouTube and Facebook uh, to keep up with all things like that. Uh, Secondly, there is the email, elevatingtheword at outlook.com. Again, elevatingtheword at outlook.com. Send us your prayer requests, your thoughts, and your questions over to the email. And then lastly, if you'd like to give towards Brother Dean's ministry, there are ways of doing that down in the show notes, down in the comments below. Just click the links and they will take you exactly where you need to go. And with all of that out of the, the way... We have a special guest today, Brother Dean. It's none other yes. than your lovely wife, my mother-in-law, Peggy Caldwell, also known as Pegalicious to many. And uh, and that's just a joke, folks. It's not really her real name. So with that being said, here's Peg and Dean. Well, thank you, Rob. And it's so good to be here today and good to have my wife on this podcast with us today. And we're going to be talking about the home, and the importance of having God in the home. And uh, whenever you think about the home, God has ordained three main areas of life. And number one is, first of all, family or the home. Secondly, God ordained church. And thirdly, state government. God said he sets kingdoms up and he takes kingdoms down. So those three areas, and they are in that order. Number one is the family. Number two is the, is the church. And number three is state. And you'll find those in order in the scripture from the word of God. What Peggy and I are going to be talking about today is having God in the home, the importance of that and and uh, dear, it's so good to have you with us today, and um, you, you just greet the people. I'm so glad to be here and just to be able to be on this podcast with Dean. He and I do a lot of, have over the years, did a lot of marriage retreats, um, counseling many times, and we've had different people ask us, what's the answer? And so today, that's why we just kind of wanted to talk about the family, the home, and what it takes to have peace in the home and the way God intended it to be. So I'm excited to be here. Yes, we're going to home base today out of the book of 2 Samuel, chapter number 6, and uh, just a few scripture here to set the stage because this is the story of when David brought the Ark of the Covenant. Now, he had just taken over kingship, of um, Hebron, well, from Hebron, uh, he was over king over Judea, and now he is joined with king. He is king over Israel, brought both of those nations together, Judea and Israel together. 
and he is bringing the Ark of the Covenant to the place of setting that he had prepared for it in Jerusalem. And by the way, David was king of Judea for about three years, I think it was, and then uh, uh, it may have been longer than that. I have to look and see. And that was in Hebron. And now he's moving the headquarters in the capital city of the uh, uh, into Jerusalem. And he said, I won't be king until I bring the presence of God and set it in its rightful place, which indicates God has to be in the home. Yes. God, number yes. one, has to be in the home. So I'm going to read some scripture here of this happening, and then Peggy and I are going to comment on this, and we're going to talk to you today about the importance of the home because this is a needful subject that needs to be addressed because the home in America has deteriorated uh, somewhat from what uh, the biblical example of a home should be. And I think we need to strive with everything we have to make sure that our home fits the criteria that God laid out for the home and what it should be. And sometimes that is a challenge. It is a big challenge for us to fit that all in there. So let me read the scripture. I'm in Second Samuel chapter 6. Verse 17, he said, And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts, and he dealt among them, which means he gave among the people, the whole multitude of Israel, as well as to the women and to the men, everyone a cake of bread, a good piece of flesh, and a fagin of wine. So all the people departed, everyone to their house. Now what he's saying here is this. He has given everybody a, a meal. Uh, a quick meal, kind of a sandwich, a piece of bread and and meat and something to drink and sent them home. Then David returned to bless his household. He blessed all of Israel. The ark has come home. And there's a story behind all of that of getting the ark there. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how glorious was the king of Israel today who uncovered himself in the eyes of the handmaidens of his servants, as soon as one as a vain fellow shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord which chose me before thy father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord, and I will yet be more vile than thus, and will be base in my own sight. And of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be had in honor. And listen to verse number 23. Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child until the day of her death. Now, this is indicating here that David was excited to have the presence of God brought into Jerusalem. That was, this is the key to this whole story here. And earlier in this chapter, he has danced before the ark of God. And we'll talk about that as we get in on this a podcast today. So 
We're talking about the home, Peggy, and, and the having God in the home and how important this is, especially in this day and time and among Christians. God needs to be in the home. Yes, and the essence of what I, I get from this story is that David was the spiritual leader. He was trying to bring what he needed to his people, yes. but he also had a burden to bring it into his home. He was the spiritual leader. He wanted them to have what he had just seen happen among his people. And a lot of times that's what goes wrong in the home. We lose sight of who is the spiritual leader. We do. We, we lose sight of that. And that's how God set the home up. Yes. Yes. God set the home up in uh, in leadership, uh, but if the husband is not the spiritual leader, then what? Then it's the wife's place to become the spiritual leader. We have so many homes now today that are single parents, and it is hard. There are many women who are having to take that role. Yes. But when you have a man in the home, that is why it is so important as wives that we pray for our husbands because we want them to be the spiritual leader. We see it in the Word of God all through the Bible that the man is the spiritual leader, but we have to understand that there are those who do not take that role, and so then it becomes the wife's place. Yes. And But God will honor that. He, he knows. Will. He knows if the man doesn't, that he will honor that woman and let her become the spiritual leader. Let's, let's put some scripture on that where people that are listening can understand the heartbeat of God. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 7 and verse number 14, 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 14, it said, it, for the unbelieving husband, is sanctified by the wife. Yes. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. Now listen to what it said. Let me just put that in just everyday language where we can all get our minds wrapped around this. The unbelieving husband, the unsaved husband, is now under a covenant of sanctification because he has a saved wife. And the unsaved wife is under a covenant of sanctification because the husband is saved. And then it goes down to the fact of saying this, your children are blessed because of that. What he's actually saying, as long as God has got one party in that home that's saved and covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, that household is entitled to the blessings of God. Yes, yes. And that proves that God is not a respecter of persons. He never has been. He never will be. Whatever the need is, he will provide. Yes. That also opens up um, an avenue uh, to break strongholds in the home. For instance, even though the husband is not saved, let's use that scenario because that's more common than anything. The husband is not saved, doesn't serve God. The wife serves God. She brings the children to the house of God. She prays with them. She's the spiritual leader of that household. But that whole household is entitled to the blessings of God, financially, physically, and spiritually. Let me put that down in 
language where we can get our mind wrapped around that. As long as one person, one person in that household is saved, that whole household is entitled to the blessings of God. Let me prove that from the Word of God. Now, I'm going to go back to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter number 39. And when we reading, when we are reading this in chapter 39, keep in mind that we're going to read about Joseph here. And Joseph is a slave. He has been bought by Potiphar. He has been uh, sold into slavery. His brothers sold him into slavery. He's in Egypt. He has been bought. He is a slave. Now listen to verse 2 of chapter 39 of the book of Genesis. He said, and the Lord was with Joseph. Now he's a slave. He is owned. He, his rights and privileges are coming from a higher power yes. and authority over him. He was, he was a prosperous man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. So he doesn't have rights and privileges that the free man had. His rights and privileges are under scrutiny. But he still had the favor of God. He still had the favor of God. That proves a point. It just proves a big point there. As long as we have the favor of God in our life, it doesn't make any difference where you're at and what's going on around you. You have the favor of God. Listen to verse 3. Now, verse 2 said the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 3, and his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So God is blessing him even though he's a slave. But then verse number five. Now, this is the kicker here that gives some insight to the heart of God. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer. Now, Potiphar had made Joseph overseer of all that he had and in his house, and he was over all that he had. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The Lord had blessed the Egyptian's house because Joseph was there. What are you saying? Now, this Egyptian was an idolater. He didn't serve God. He served the sun God. But Joseph was a prisoner in his house. And God blessed this idolater simply because Joseph was there. That proves a big point there. So ladies, hear me. Fellas, hear me. Even though you have a unsaved party in your house that may be the financial breadwinner, maybe uh, your husband or your wife, but you've got somebody, let's say you're raising grandkids and they're in a state of rebellion and they're not going, they don't want God. They don't want your doctrine. They don't want your God. They don't want your religion. They don't want anything to do with you. And you feel so discouraged. You feel so despondent about that. This scripture says, God bless this idolater's house simply because Joseph lived there. Take new courage in your life and realize that as long as you live there in that household and you're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, your whole household is entitled to the blessings of God. 
You can pray for their healing when they're sick. You can pray for financial blessings when you're in financial strait. You can pray. You can pray. The Bible gives you that right to pray the blessings of God on your household. So ladies, if you are having to be the single parent, if you are having to be the spiritual leader, you have a promise that your household is blessed. Your children will be blessed. Your grandchildren will be blessed because you have been faithful. Yes, the They're faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, whenever we look at all of this, of what God has for us, he just wants to be in the center of our home, uh, our house, everything that we have. We need to put God on center point of that. And and the story that we just related to you concerning Joseph, that's in every detail of the word of God. God blessed people that were not even God-minded simply because they was somebody lived in the town, in the kingdom, that had the heart of God. God is more willing to bless us then we are to receive that blessing. And I've seen so many times of people that would uh, feel discouraged and despondent because their household was not what they felt like it ought to be. But And we've seen that through the years of time. But if you just take courage, take faith, and begin to pray with the understanding of the Word of God, your house is blessed because you live there. But you have to take that blessing and push the discouragement out of your mind and push the discouragement away from you and begin to tell yourself by the scriptures we just used here today, I'm blessed. This house is blessed. Yes. Doesn't make any difference who lives here. I live here. I'm covered by the blood. And because I'm covered by the blood, God doesn't want me to suffer because I cannot change my circumstances. Right. And don't you feel like the one thing that you have always did when you did marriage counseling, you won't marry anyone without doing yes. pre-counseling. And the importance that you have always said, first and foremost, is there needs to be three in this marriage. A husband and a wife, but you have got to have God in the center of everything. And it's so important when you're looking for that soulmate, for that person, how important it is. And, you know, when you're young, you think love is all there is. If we've got love, nothing else matters. But we have tried to stress through the years, it's not love, it's commitment. And that's one of the things that you've always stressed in the marriage when you do the counseling before um, I think probably in all the counseling sessions you've done, there was probably only one couple maybe that backed out. After you talked to them and explained to them, there is so much more to this than yes. just the love. It is a lifetime commitment. Yes. You cannot base a marriage on just love. Love is an emotion. Yes. I know people that one time dearly loved each other that now dearly hate each other. Yes. Love is an emotion. You don't base a marriage on emotion. You base a marriage on commitment. Am I going to be committed to this woman? Is she going to be committed to that man? 
whatever it is, commitment, 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 because commitment stays in the high point and it also stays in the low point. Because listen to me, folks, and we're sitting here talking about the home and trying to be real with you. There is going to be days you wished you wasn't married. Yes. There's going to be days come like that. But that passes. That passes. And when it passes, commitment shows up. Yes. Commitment shows up. If you're basing your relationship with your companion on just what you call love, you're in trouble because there's going to be times that you're going to wish you weren't married. And that whole thing, that principle of that emotion is going to leak out. And if you're not real careful, you'll build a case on the time when you felt like that you was not loved or you couldn't give love anymore. But you base your commitment in your marriage on Christ, on the word of God. And what God says for us to be and for us to do. And when you do that, you're placing God in the center of your marriage. You're putting God there saying, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. When God's in the center of the marriage, he makes a commitment to us. When we come to the altar and get saved, we make a commitment to live for him. But he is committed to us, yes. and that's why it's compared to the marriage. You have to have that commitment in order to go through the things that we do through our lives. You know, we've been married 48 years. Uh, our pastor the other night asked us some questions. What is some of the things that you could advise couples that you can make it 48 years? And the first thing we said was communication how important communication is. And in this day and time, we have all kinds of ways of communication. But the hardest thing for me and you, I think when we're traveling, we stop at a restaurant and we see couples sitting at a table, sometimes just them by themselves, sometimes two or three kids. Every one of them's on the phone, but they're not talking to each other. They're communicating, yes, but they're not talking to each other. They're not looking each other in the face. And the thing that we've always done, I think, through the years that we have made a part of our life is communicating. Sure. When we have went through things, and I, I told Pastor the other night, one of the things that I remember early on, you and I have got out a lot of times in the late afternoon and walked and talked. That's when we discussed what are we going to do about this? Or what do, what do you think? You would ask me, what do you think we should do? You would ask me my advice. And just communicating, you know, we, we've lost that. Even though we've got every type of communication available at our hands, there's nothing like looking at each other and talking. Yes, you must communicate. Whenever we say that, you know, you have to, talk things out. Now, I realize that there's going to be times that you don't feel like talking. You don't want to talk. You're mad. You're upset. But be disciplined enough. And you can do this. You be disciplined enough to get past your feelings and begin to have some communication. You cannot work a problem out of any kind 
without some kind of communication. Because if you're not real careful, that stuff is going to be like misplaced furniture. And when uh, you get up in the nighttime and you start walking around whenever you push furniture around and change it in the house, you're going to bump into it. You have to deal with your situation. We're going to we're going to do a podcast on uh, on the ways you can deal with conflict because there is going to be conflict in in the marriage. There just is because you come from two different backgrounds, you're two different personalities, you think different, you act different, you are different, and God made you like that so you can draw from the differences and each other's lives. And over the period of time, like Peggy just said, we've been married 48 years. I draw from her, she draws from me. And you see this, the longer you walk in your marriage walk, you're going to see this. I, I remember a story one time of our, our daughter, our oldest daughter. She was still in the nursery. I guess she was about three. Maybe she was three mm-hmm. years old. Mm-hmm. And, um, One Sunday after service, uh, we came uh, out of service and the nursery worker, the whatever class she was in at that point, came down the aisle carrying her. And he handed her to me and he said, Pastor, we had a very interesting class today. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I said, oh, did you? And he said, yes, we always take prayer requests. And said, your daughter was there already coloring, sitting at a table, coloring a little paper and her prayer request was to pray for my mom and dad. And the and the uh, uh, leader said, are they sick? She said, no, they need to be saved. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, oh, darling, your mom and dad are already saved. They're pastor of the church. She said, no, they're not saved. And uh, he said, well, what makes you think that? And I feel like he was probably prying at that point. Yeah, he wanting was to know pumping. some juicy stuff. <laughs> and, of course, he had hit the jackpot there because she said, well, this morning my mama called my daddy a stupid idiot, and my daddy told her she needed to shut her mouth. And now and, this was before Sunday morning service. And that's exactly how it happened. And I took her in my arms and I said, boy, these kids have imagination, <laughs> don't they? But that's how it went down that morning. So there's going to be times where communication is going to be tough. But you need to keep the avenue open. Keep that channel open of communication because you cannot solve a problem without communication. Talking that situation out. And when you get to the point that you cannot work it out yourself, see a counselor. Get help. Yes. Get help from someplace, somebody that you trust. You go to them, sit down, and if you trust them, take their advice. If it's Bible-based, take their advice. Now, we're primarily talking to Christians here today, and we're talking about being a Christian home and putting God in the home. What we're using examples of ourselves is we feel like God is in the center of our home, and we still have situations. Yes, and in in today's culture, 50%, it's been proven 50% of the divorce rate is in Christian homes because they say they have God in the home, but 
just because you're Christians does not mean he is in the center of it all. And it proves that we there's more to it than what we say. It goes deeper than that. It's it's an open line of communication. And when you said that about the arguing or the um, get being angry and sometimes you can't talk, when you and I first married, I my deal was just shutting you off. I could do that. I was good at it. Uh, if we had a problem, I just wouldn't talk to you. For two weeks? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm when you hid my billfold, I did for two solid weeks. Ladies, that's a whole nother story. But I did for two weeks because I was so angry at you. I'd ordered a new driver's license, new Social Security card, the whole thing. But I learned over the years that we did have to talk. And the Bible says, be angry and sin not. You can talk loud. It's when you let it fester and, and become between you to the place to where there is no communication. But communication doesn't always mean a still, quiet voice that does not. We're human, and we have emotions. We just learn. We have to learn to do the communication, and I communicate different than you do. We we are different, as you said, so we have to be able to be willing to listen to the other person, how they communicate, even though it's not our favorite way. You did not like for me to close off. You wanted to talk it out that day, get it out of the way, go to bed, and it's over, but not me. I wanted you to pay for it, and so my way was, but through the years, we realized we each had our own ways, but we had to give in some. That's the situation we see in so many of the marriages today that we did have counseled with. One is not willing to give. It's not a 50-50. It's 100% sure. on both sides. Yes. I've heard it always said, well, it's 50-50. No, it's 100% no. Yes, from each one to make it because you're – coming from different backgrounds. And uh, we're going to do uh, a few podcasts coming up uh, on uh, the marriage and uh, different things. But let me kind of bring this down with our text that we had here today concerning David. When David brought the Ark of the Covenant back and blessed all the people, the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. Yes. And he said, I won't be king unless the presence of God is in the rightful place. And he wanted it in his hometown where he's going to set up his kingdom, which was Jerusalem becoming the capital, making it the capital. And uh, when he brought the ark in, he danced before the ark of God with all of his might. Now he was clothed in an ephod, which is the garment that a priest wore. Right. But he laid that aside and got down to a servant's garment. I love that point that's yes. made there in the scripture. You can't hide behind something that somebody else has done right. or something somebody else has said. You're going to have to take that off and get down to a servant's garment and get before God just openly before God. And David did. And when he got home, he was so excited and went home and his wife met him, Saul's daughter met him and scolded him. 
And, and, and David didn't help the situation. He said in verse 21 of 2 Samuel chapter 6, David said to, to Michael, he said, uh, it was before the Lord. I danced before the Lord. Now watch what he said, which chose me before your father and before all of his house to appoint me ruler over all the people. Now, David at this point had gotten mad himself. Right. And he's uh, attacking her family. God picked me above your whole crew. God picked me above yourself. You know, this is one area that really, really needs uh, to be uh, pointed out. Yes. Sometimes uh, when we start attacking family of our spouse, if you do that, you're, you're just bringing an attack on your own family because anytime you criticize somebody's blessing, you're criticizing your own blessing. But David attacked the family and said, God chose me above your dad. God chose me above your whole household. And, uh, you know, we've lived long enough to know you just don't criticize family no. at all. You and, don't uh, win. No, I, I never was one to do that at all, just to criticize uh, uh, Peggy's family because I loved them and they have meant a lot to me through the years of time. But I've watched this over time. But when married couples become married, then they want to cut one of the other side of the family off. And um, this is so wrong. Yes. It will hurt the marriage down the line. Yes. It's going to hurt the marriage down the line. You can mark that down. You must keep a avenue of communication open for everybody because family is going to get sideways with you from time to time. We're not always going to dis, uh, we're not always going to agree on everything. There's a difference between disagreeing and becoming disagreeable. disagreeable yes. Yes. Because disagreeable carries a spirit with it. Yes. And uh, now Peggy and I've been married she said 48 years and and we've disagreed a lot through the years of time and uh, and we still disagree. Uh, I don't agree with everything she says. She don't agree with everything I say. But we keep communication out there, and and uh, this is one of the areas of solving some problems yes. in our life. But let's go on with this. And the Bible said in verse 23 that Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child. If you don't have God in the home, you cannot be fruitful. You cannot yes. produce. That's true. Michael's daughter did not have any children to the day of her death, all because she refused to accept what David had, her husband had, concerning God in his life. If we want fruitfulness, if we want a home that's going to be fruitful, we must put God in the center of the home and accept it there with him. Yes. So we're going to end this podcast here and then take up uh, the next podcast talking about uh areas of solving dilemmas and solving problems and situations in the home. Thank you guys for tuning into the podcast this week. We pray it was a blessing to you. We pray that it encouraged you, that you were elevated in the word. Don't forget to check out Dean Caldwell Ministries on Facebook.